0: Hey gang, welcome to episode 222 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, (laughs) aka here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we've got Nick Reinwald Jones and Caitlin Schiller, the co-artistic directors of Spy Brunch LLC, uh, which just opened up Safe House 82. Uh, Nick is the director uh, and co-writer, as well as one of the performers, and Caitlin is the co-writer and one of the performers in the new show. Uh, this is a follow-up to a Safe House 77, uh, which was, uh, we call it like a sleeper hit here in Los Angeles, um, and had multiple remounts of the show, and this is the follow-up. Uh, we get into uh, how this one's different from the last one, uh, and uh, the the creative relationship uh, between Nick and Caitlin, and Yeah, we we, we dig into some spy stuff. (laughs) I think at one point they say something they wish they hadn't said. Uh, It all stays in. It all stays in. Um, Got a couple of things uh, to check in on before we get into the interview. One, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown about uh, how ticketing is going to work this year for uh, the Here Summit and Festival in 2020, which is coming up uh, in March, end of March, the 27th through the 29th at the Pasadena Playhouse. This is our follow-up to the last two immersive design summits. I'm going to give you a, a, a little preview inside scoop. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we need to check in on the Patreon. Uh, again, thank you. All of you, really, because I know I'm pretty sure at this point that all of the regular, regular listeners to the show, like the super regular listeners to the show are have jumped on board the Patreon bandwagon. Uh, I'd be shocked at those of you who haven't. Um, We are we're doing a couple of things right now. One for the Patreon backers, we are doing an audience survey. Uh, and only about 10% of the folks have responded so far. Uh, this, this is partly for us to, uh, you know, do better shout outs as we go forward. Uh, I've got the dream of doing birthday shout outs for people. Um, and then the dream of doing birthday, look at, look at me. Uh, I haven't had my coffee yet. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty early in the morning for me. Uh, there's a thing that I have to go to at like 9 a.m. So I'm like just like getting this thing done before I'm awake. Um, and uh, also just trying to look at, you know, what people find most useful about what we do at NoPro. So to help us uh, focus our efforts um, and do more of what people really, really dig. Anyway. Um, that's what we're doing with the backers. Uh, we've got some new backers this week because we're up to 306 backers and $1,748 uh, coming through, which is great because that means we're only $52 away from our next financial goal. Uh, here we go uh, with the new backers, Foxtrot One, Scott Olson, Gavin Black, Heather Hutchinson, and Parker Sella. Thank you all so much. And Sydney Guillory uh, upped her pledge. And became one of our sustaining backers uh this week. So thank you, Sydney. Um, we're in a marathon run right now to the end of the year. Uh and we need we got two big dollar goals. Uh I want us to crash through. Uh and I wanna do it as much as possible on the backs of five dollar backers. My dream for this, of course, is that we get a thousand people dropping five dollars a month and then you know, we're we're sustainable. Well, I'm sustainable. And then growing beyond that so we can like, you know, pay more people to do this thing. So right now what we're looking for, we're looking for 10 new $5 backers to get us to the first marker, the $1,800 marker. Um, and what I'm asking of everyone who's listening to my voice right now is not, reach open your wallets. No, no. We're in the middle of the month right now, or we're Going towards the middle of the month, and actually, what's more valuable than everyone who's hearing this pledging is sharing. Um, if you can share the pics of the week, share the newsletters, share everything immersive this week, rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Um, all of these things help get the word out. And the idea is that the, of course, the the broader we make the platform. Um, the easier it is for us to sustain our work, but also the broader we make the platform, the easier it is for those who are making independent, immersive work to find an audience. And there's a lot of fascinating work that just doesn't find the audience that it deserves because we don't get the word out and the word doesn't travel as far as it should. And, and as we all know, it's an uphill battle because the alt weeklies have pretty much all died at this point. Uh, you know, the, 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 the local blogging sites, you know, uh, they don't have the resources to follow up on like the weird art stuff. And it's, it's up to us. It's up to us as a community. It's up to NoPro pro as an entity and to the other enthusiast bloggers in the space to create that and to create a, an increasingly more welcoming community for folks, because sometimes this work can be a little obtuse for people and they don't quite get it. And, Making it easier for folks to understand and get and onboard themselves and not be, you know, scared. Like, oh, that's one of those things where I'm going to get tortured. No, no, we've got to got to help people understand what's going on here. Uh, so share picks of the week. I honestly think picks of the week might be like the easiest thing because it's just like a here. Start here for the nerds. Everything immersive this week. Hi, nerds. Uh, <laughs> chief nerd here. Um, pot kettle. Um. And the newsletters, of course, oh, which which remain probably our most popular thing. Um, and rating and reviewing the podcast it becomes more discoverable. Um, yeah. Please. <laughs> more than your money, uh, your voice is, is required right now. The sustaining backers of No Priscilium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, and joining them is Sydney Guillory. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Um, golly, gosh. Uh, Safe House 77, uh, the original show from Spy Brunch LLC, uh, was this um, this this cool mashup of 70s, sort of 60s spy thriller uh, and Fleetwood Mac um, in fact, like when, when Nick Rammel Jones originally pitched me uh, the show, he said like, I'm really interested. I want to do a spy story, but I want to do it with like Fleetwood Mac as the characters. Uh, and I was like, okay, but also like, hmm, okay. Um, cause of course, if you know the band, like the dynamic there is hella interesting. Uh, and w- what could be, w- what could be more fun, uh, than uh, a dysfunctional spy family story right uh safe house 82 uh is the all new follow-up to 77 um and from what i can tell from this interview there's some tonal shifts in terms of what's going on uh things are kind of deepened um and I'm, i'm like really fascinated by where the team is going uh Both Nick and Caitlin play roles in the show. Uh, They've co-written it. They also, uh, over the summer, they collaborated on a piece called The Pod, which was absolutely just a beautiful one-on-one experience that took place uh, at Familia Arts as part of the Hollywood Fringe. And uh, Caitlin came on board as uh, the the co-artistic director of Spy Brunch. Nick was the founder. Uh, And now they've collaborated and co-written the new Safe House 82. So without further ado... And I'll stop my pre-coffee rambling. Uh, here's our interview with Nick Reinhold Jones and Caitlin Schiller of Safe House Eighty Two. So we're here in the safe house. Yes. Literally in
1: the safe house.
2: Yes. Yeah. Do we didn't, we safe? didn't blindfold Noah. We probably should have, but, <laughs>
0: uh, it's, it's only in my neighborhood. So <laughs> this is the funny, cause yeah, this is like the easiest, this is the second easiest podcast venue for me possible. Cause like the first one's my apartment and the second one's here, mm-hmm. uh, because literally a 10 minute walk away. Um, so everyone who's been to my apartment will now know the <laughs> But I think everyone who's been to my apartment was at uh, Safe House 77. So Nick, maybe you can tell us the the new show which opens tomorrow uh, when we're recording this, uh, yes. which so we'll probably run it this week. It like opened like e- two days ago. Um, <laughs> the future, the future, the future in the past, in the past of the future. Um, what is the Safe House series?
2: Uh, so Safe House started with Safe House 77, which uh, debuted. Uh, Almost exactly two years ago. Uh, it was the first immersive show that I ever created or was involved with in any way. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do immersive after I saw some immersive shows in New York. I was very frustrated as a screenwriter and trying to be you know trying to sell pilots and stuff like that and I knew I needed a new creative direction somehow. So I came away from seeing Then She Fell and mostly Then She Fell with that. I was, that, was, that was pretty much enough for me to be like I, I need to do this. And uh, so I came back to L.A. and started working on what I wanted to do for an immersive show, which was a spy thriller because that was the genre that I liked. And that became Safe House 77, which is a hybrid of a L.A. house party in 1977 and a spy thriller in which you're inducted into the CIA.
0: And Caitlin, you were an actor in that show.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was my second immersive production.
0: Yeah, the first one was... It was um, Covell, Covel. where yeah. I was
1: the tiger. Yeah. 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 Thanks, is, Annie.
0: Yeah. Which <laughs> is also, also in this neighborhood. Like, there's something... like it, It's kind of funny. There's, like, a little bit of um, uh, a strange magic to uh, this neighborhood because Cavell was down the block. Yeah. The nest. nest was right around the street, you know, right, right And around the the street. then Jennifer,
2: yeah. who was in our original cast of safe house was roommates with Jeff from the nest. And that's, so she was right around the corner as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah the, 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 there's, the, it's this little, little micro epicenter of, of immersive. Yeah, it, this is where you want to be. Yeah. Um, what, what was it about? What was it about the first run that, uh, Made you wanna we'll stick around for the second run, and then jump into a writer role here because you guys, you guys kind of like you met creatively uh, mm-hmm. on that show, and now mm-hmm. you've done a couple of pieces together because you did the pod, mm-hmm. which was this year over mm-hmm. at the Hollywood Fringe. Yeah. So, kind of, kind of walk us through this creative relationship.
1: Ah, uh, well, yeah, I, I think I think you came to Covell. You came I did. to I Covell. Saw you in, I saw yes. you in Covell before, and we had anything. like a tiger stare down. And yeah. Then, I didn't when, get
2: the one-on-one in the first time I saw it, but I right. definitely, you definitely registered.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I knew like this was, this was a format and, and a way to, to reach people and audiences and really connect to my empathy in real life. And I wanted to work in immersive, like almost exclusively, cause I'd never seen any anything like it. And it was a place that I could really utilize all of my skills, um, And when I saw, there was something, I think it was on Everything Immersive that I saw the audition for 77. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but this sounds amazing.
0: Oh my God, that's right. You did list on there. It's so, I, I don't even think of EI being around that long. So, but it has been.
2: And I think Caitlin was the only person who auditioned who actually came to us through that because we did open casting through a lot of outlets and, yeah, we like, and we didn't like we weren't I, I wasn't well known in the immersive world enough for like just all the immersive people to automatically come audition <laughs> like mm-hmm. so uh, I was lucky to get Caitlin through the through those channels and I think Annie told you like I think Annie like sent it over to you and then you
1: uh-huh yeah Yeah. yeah. And Annie so. Lester's great about like look at this job it's yeah. great um, but yeah, it was, the development process was like anything I'd ever seen. Nick really was interested in our feedback and around building the show and also like building the characters. Like he will write scenes for you that you're interested in. Like, and that, that was like mind blowing and I never had experienced that. And he, 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 really takes care of his, his team. Like, um, he's really good about making sure everyone is like financially supported for their artistic work, which is unfortunately not always the case in, in this industry, um and just just his open-heartedness and like he was always willing to learn along with us because he was also new to the format so he was also interested in, in um exploring what was possible so
2: yeah it was really like we all just figured out what the show was together yeah. sitting sitting in a room you know i i started with like when when we had the full cast I sent everyone a sort of very basic outline of what the show could be (laughs) and it's actually it's it it ended up being not that dissimilar from what the show ended up being but we made like huge changes along the way that ended up like some of which we kept and some of which we unmade but like the cast really just like we all kind of figured out what like we were starting from scratch like we like none of us I mean some some people like Caitlin had done immersive shows before, some hadn't, everyone had you know, everyone was a strong creative person. But we just kind of were like, okay, we have no, we're, we're starting with zero assumptions, except that we want this to be a spy thriller mm-hmm. and house party. And how do we keep those elements alive? And what can we do? And then at a certain point, um, time ran out, and I just had to write a script. So I you wrote <laughs> ran into in a week. ran into my room and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pounded it out, and that was most of what was in there. And then we, you know, we added more things along the way. But yeah, just the opportunity to get to know the actors. I already had characters in mind, but like, sort of, matching those to the personalities of the people. Um, I think that's a lot of what made, yeah. it, made it special.
1: And I was, I was right off the bat. I'm like, I want research. And you had like TV shows for me to write and a uh, lot, to watch and, um, music to listen to. And just the fact that we were, I don't know if a lot of people know this, that the, the characters are, are based on, um, Fleetwood Mac band members. And so we had a whole, like that was just actor juice just to dive into those people's lives and, and, and consider them from a spy, at, um, mindset and what what could they do and how would they fuck up each other you know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i remember that that was that was that was the pitch you were walking around with and and you were you were almost like methodical in that you were like researching how the different companies in town are working talking to nick right now like i remember he came to me and said you know it's it's fleetwood mac as a spy like our spies Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. and And then you, like, you know, you dove in and you, like, checked out other people's work and, like, went to folks' rehearsals and and just did a lot of research. Yeah, well, I mean, people,
2: the, I mean, and you connected me with people, which I'm so grateful for, and I'm so grateful for, like, the LA Immersive Community for being as supportive as it is. Because, yeah, Speakeasy Society let me come to their rehearsals for Johnny, which was, like, there was when they were still developing Johnny 3, so I got to see how they sort of generated material for scenes and the different like activities that they did and having you know like groups of people go off into a room and just spend 20 minutes coming up with a scene and that's something i ended up using for my auditions for safe house like we'd have people come in and read but then after a few people had read we would put all three of them into a room and say okay you come up with like a five minute scene and do it for us and uh yeah so just all these things that i just you know was able to like take into my brain shine on uh marley and anna also let me come to their stuff and um yeah, so I just, I and I got great mentorship in general. So, uh, and combining that with, yeah, just, just tried to do as much. We didn't do a lot of CIA research for the first one, but we did a lot of Fleetwood Mac research.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: one's more fun than the
2: other. Well, we <laughs> had a yeah.
1: consultant from uh, the CIA, didn't we?
2: Yeah, we're not allowed to say that we did. Oh, oh, never mind, never
1: mind, never mind. <laughs>
2: I think it's it's bins of diamond we're not we're not identifying who that person is but yeah we did have a little bit of mentorship
0: there. (laughs) We'll we'll leave that unexcavated Uh, although I will I will note like it's always interesting in this town the the number of screenwriters who uh, get hired on to consult uh, the Department of Defense on all kinds of things like you'll never know I think my favorite I think my favorite was uh, and they'll they'll sometimes they'll tell the stories pretty openly but like I was at like some little mixer thing for in the transmedia world. And there was a writer on a cartoon that I had grown up watching. um, And he was just going off at length about, you know, scenario. They would do scenario building for the DOD. And I was like, on the one hand, I was like, well, this is cool. (laughs) On the other hand, I was like, this is insane. Cause like the person who wrote blank is like helping The DOD figure out, like, well, like, if a terrorist attack happens in the city, it's like, you wrote (laughs) Saturday morning cartoons. Like, this doesn't, you know, anyway. um, So,
2: Skeletor attacks. We know exactly what to do.
0: You know, pretty close. Maybe on the other channel, but exactly at that time. Let me tell you. uh, Not not far off from Skeletor. Um, So, um, uh, now... One thing you guys had, you, you know, you did a few runs of 77 mm-hmm. and one thing you guys definitely had is, is some folks who became repeat customers. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you learned in that process of people coming back, um, in terms of how you're building this one. Cause I got to imagine you're, you've got some eye towards mm-hmm. that as part of what's going to be happening. And maybe we can talk about how 82 differs from 77. Or maybe yeah. should, maybe the people didn't see it. Hold on. I'm assuming too much of it. <laughs> How was 77 structured? Let's start there because it was a very specific so, structure.
2: Yeah. So like I said, my first experience seeing an immersive show was Then She Fell, which has multiple tracks and not everyone gets every scene. And I was really intrigued by that because then you get to talk with other people afterwards and you get, you know, you there's some FOMO of like, well, what did I not see? And there's some superiority of like, oh, I got to brush her hair. And, you know, uh, so I definitely wanted to use that element and have um be able to provide unique experiences for people who came and originally like when i very originally developed it like i thought it would just be sort of this very small experimental thing that i would do and i was thinking of like five audience members so like five different tracks like one per audience member then it ended up being ten uh, audience members. It was Jenny Weinblum who actually who was now with Meow Wolf, who said that five people is not going to feel like a party. You need at least ten. So, mm-hmm. Like great, <laughs> like that. <laughs> that was hugely helpful. Thank you, Jenny. Um, <laughs> so it ended up being two audience members per track, but um, we had five major characters. So kind of every character took charge of two different audience members, and you would get scenes with other characters. You get encounters with other characters, but you were pretty much assigned to your to this character for the night and that would be who you got to know the most who you started with who you ended with and then there would be a whole lot that you didn't see um that if you came back you could see it from another character's perspective or get the chance to do other spy activities and and stuff like that uh so there definitely was a lot of replayability built into it um with 82 i think there still will be there aren't really tracks per se. Um, it's a lot more sort of chaotic in a mm-hmm. hopefully in a good way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, do you want to say more about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean we really wanted to make this uh, we, we listened to the feedback from 77 and you know the the tracks were fun and, and satisfying, but people wanted more flexibility, more um, freedom. So basically this is this is a show where you can move, you can leave rooms, you can leave uh you can you can move wherever you want it's completely sandbox um you can be attracted to conversations or get involved in a puzzle um it's really up to you the night how the night turns out um and what what you stumble upon
0: how how is the process of building for that because you're still are we still at about 10 people as audience uh, we have 13 this time 13 this time so yeah. 13 audience members and still about five the five characters um or? we
2: have Uh, well we had oh no we had we had six characters and so like in in, connie and safe s77 didn't really have a track like she was you know kind of like party hostess Mm -hmm. um so we still have six main characters in Mm -hmm. this um so yeah it's six six characters to 13 audience members so there's still a you know still a pretty good ratio ratio. Mm yeah
0: um but how how is it how's i mean it's it's a little bit easier when you're doing track stuff to like Design, run, test. Because if nothing else, you can always you know grab two of your other actors, throw them with somebody, test the scene out. Sandbox style, things firing off, and 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 I guess I guess A lot the question less is control. Lot less control, yeah. less control. Yes, and and definitely with this one, like it's you know
2: everyone knows that it's hard to rehearse an immersive show without an audience. Mm-hmm. With this one, it was especially especially hard. hard. Like we really didn't know at all what we what what it was going to look like until we brought people in who didn't know the show and were doing it. Mm-hmm. And we did like we did a very early preview in late September, which was only about half the show we just did final dress, uh, this past weekend, which gave us a lot more data about just sort of how people move through it. But yeah, I mean, that's something we're going to keep discovering as the run goes on, Mm -hmm. which is great because in 77, the same thing happened. Like the the more shows we did, the more data we gathered about how audiences move through it and how us as actors can move through it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be that process of just like refining, refining,
0: refining. You're talking about in terms of data. So like, do you have, do you have like a methodology of of, for tracking this stuff like uh, how are are you approaching the thought process there
2: i think it's mostly just like we um well with 77 like we'd always we'd always talk after every show about how it went because you know like we were on separate tracks as well the actors you know i'm an actor in it as well and so i wouldn't necessarily know what caitlin's experience had been that night or what katie's had or whatever and so there would be a lot of useful information about like, you know, when I was trying to do this scene, this happened or when, or like this person came up to me who wasn't supposed to, or I did this thing or whatever, or I accidentally did this and it worked great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So like, we'd always try to incorporate those little nuggets to be like, okay, well here's, and, and especially between runs, when we were able to just sort of like confer and say like, okay, like we've done 16 shows in general, this appears to be something that happens. So let's write a scene to accommodate that like um like katie who plays sharon she she's playing in 77 she's like the sort of fake girlfriend of lucas who's one of the spies and katie said after like one or two runs like his people always come over to me and i would love like a speech to give when that happens so that it seemed you know mm-hmm. and you know in the speeches we wrote for the like party atmosphere where supposed to feel improvised like they weren't Like they didn't feel scripted, but it was nice for them to have something like be armed with something when audiences came up to them. So Mm -hmm. that's so it's basically just kind of like watching what audience members do and say, like, okay, is there something that we can adjust logistically or that we can write to fill this thing that is organically happening that we didn't sort of expect?
1: Right, it's just it's coming back over and over again. Like how how can we really emotionally get audiences emotionally invested in each and every moment instead of making about like I'm monologuing. You know, this character has this drama with this. It's like how well, how are you useful? How why are you here? And yeah. how do you mean? What do you mean? And we just try to get more and more specific about because that's that's what really grounds people in 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 this work. And, but that it's just, it's so hard to figure out that balance sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, oftentimes it seems to me that the, the, the critical thing is what does the character need from the audience in that moment? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and when that's, when that's really crystal in the mind of the actor, then it gets a little easier for the audience to like give themselves over to it or, or push back, right. That, that strong offer, you know, it's funny, like the other, mm, actually. I think that's under NDA. I can't talk about it. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you about it afterwards. Okay. So, well, so let me see if I can uh, scrape the chrome off this. Um, so I was doing something the other day. There we go. And I don't talk about how or why. or Where? And I have no follow up. Um. There was uh. There was an interaction with um. There was an interaction with a performer, and they they didn't seem to have a real clear objective of like what they wanted out of me. Mm -hmm. And we were interacting in an environment that had like, you know, some set dressing and we were just kind of like messing around with the set dressing and I got bored and and wandered off. And then in the same thing, uh, I ran into uh, another performer and they had a very clear thing they wanted out of me. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we got to just keep on like one upping each other and then create this like beautiful feedback loop where like they offered something ridiculous. And then, so then I offered something ridiculous and it kept on kind of bluting out because it was was an absurdist thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's all just that simple of, well, what do you need? And, and, Mm -hmm. and as someone who like trained as an actor, um, it, it it feels like on the one level, like the most absurd thing, like, Oh, that's the secret. Like, what do I want? Mm -hmm. Right. And yet, and yet it is. Right.
1: Well, it's, 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 it's every day too. It's like we go up to people every day and we're needing something and not realizing like we do have an objective and we do have a point of view on these people when you mm-hmm. walk up to them and start a conversation or, or, and, and, but we forget that when we're in immersive and we're acting and we have our characters all tightly wound up with string. Um, but no, it's just like you and me here connecting empathically. I'm reading you, we're reading. And, and that's, that's one reason I love it because I get to see you and see you respond and see how it let you affect me. That's, that's the most delicious part.
0: When you guys are, are looking at this as a spy story, what are some of your objectives this time out in terms of, in terms of sort of raising the stakes on what you've done before? So, uh, one
2: thing, uh, that, I sort of, um, I mean, I started sort of developing ideas for the show before I knew that Caitlin was going to write it with me. So I had like a little germ of, a few little germs of ideas about what I wanted to do before she came on. And one of those was that I wanted to get a lot more into real CIA stuff in this show. Because in 77, the CIA world, like we tried to make it grounded, but it's still kind of a like heightened, fictional, like slightly James Bondish but more grounded version of the CIA like it's the glamorous cool ooh spies kind of world. Um and for 82 uh I wanted to get deeper into it really feeling like you're in a a CIA experience but also um in the course of doing research for the show I discovered this book by a CIA whistleblower. Uh, who was in the CIA in the 70s, and he wrote, he exposed uh, what was going on in what the CIA was doing in Angola. They basically uh, interfered in a civil war in Angola just for the purposes of, like, kind of upsetting the Soviets because the Soviets were also involved just, in it. Just because they like, could. Like, there really was – it was <laughs> specifically – they were their goal was not to win. It was just to deplete Soviet resources, and they just did it in secret, and a lot of people got killed. And so this guy wrote this whole – like, he was involved in it until he decided, like, I've had enough. I'm going to blow the whistle on this, and he wrote this – editorial, resigned, and then wrote this book about everything that happened in this. So I read the book, Caitlin read the book, uh, and there was just so much there to pull from about. And, it. and then kind of at some point we realized like, okay, this guy could be Sharon mm. because Sharon is the one who at the end of 77, you think she's just this like, like party hostess who's been compromised. It turns out she's the mastermind behind everything. She's the head of this covert operations group. So, uh, Kind of taking that and using, uh, using all of this like real interesting CIA details that we learned and details about this stuff that happened. Uh, we tried to download that into the experience and really mm-hmm. make you feel like you were in a a spy story as opposed to just sort of um, yeah like something
0: more One fictional you're and heightened
1: morally compromised yeah yeah which is and. Like that elevates and this, the risk
0: yeah that elevates the six and that's that's a quite different tone from 77 like yeah. suddenly like mm-hmm. moral like it, it feels like stepping away from bond you know there, there was a little bit of like charlie's angels and bond mm-hmm. <laughs> uh with a bit more of like the the, the craft side of it. it was a little more sandbaggers last time and that it wasn't like crazy bond high tech this this feels like it's taking a step straight towards like the smiley novels almost
2: yeah well which i'd um I, I did read Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy for 77. Um, but um, yeah, I, in general, I also, I liked the idea of really not glorifying the CIA at all in this one because I do, like, I enjoyed doing it. I mean, we all enjoy spy stuff that's, you know, sort of glamorous and fun, but also like where the world is right now and where America is and everything, I feel like there's a little bit of... responsibility yeah responsibility to be like you know hey this is not some awesome superhero organization this is actually like a very suspect group of people that are doing questionable things and let's look at it that way and still and and, and still make it fun but and and blowbacks
0: and blowbacks a right i mean like there's 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 an argument to be made that everything we're experiencing politically in america is kind of blowback Mm -hmm. right like there's 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 the the way in which the fact that like the agency always like interfered in other people's elections is like thrown in our face exactly. for you know what Russia yeah. did it's like well but you guys did it and like there's plenty of people just like and it's like yeah yeah we did it's yeah. freaking terrible <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah um and it's definitely I mean and that's that's actually there's a different kind of fun to the moral quandary oh definitely but like how do you. Hmm, this is, what I'm trying to talk about this without like, getting you guys to, like break like spoilers here. But like, how do you build in that kind of like moral quandary into what is structurally a little bit more like a locked room mystery, right? Because mm-hmm. if we if we talk I think in terms of like LARP uh, terminology, there's. There's uh, you know what we call PVE or PVP, right? This is all gaming, right? Like you know it's like massively multiplayer gaming. Like you see either players versus players or players versus enemies or like NPCs. Mm-hmm. and And the structure you have here, you've got you know six you know storyteller characters, and you've got thirteen audience members who have agency. You know, does it feel like PVE? Does it feel like PvP? what's What's the structural setup here?
2: Uh, I mean, I think our goal is that the, the actor, I mean, the, the audience members are on the side of what's going on that night. And, you know, there definitely will be, you know, moral, uh, there there will be some, some gray areas that, you know, you come across during the night, but ultimately we, the goal is that the audience as a team is all working toward the goal of the the show that the goal that's stated at the beginning of the show, uh, and another touchstone I had for that was seeing Forty Nine Boxes, which is a magic-based immersive show where the audience is all working together to try to uncover these secrets, and you don't know necessarily what other people are working on, but you know that it's all going toward the same goal, and you actually get and you get these wonderful moments of payoff where your team uncovers something and you get to go up on stage and unlock a box and everyone's cheering for you, and I just like feeling that sense of like, oh wow, we're really all in this together because the like when we talk about tracks on immersive shows, you know, you can have that experience where you're like, I had my own personal experience and nobody else knows what it was and that's fantastic. But I also wanted to have that idea of like, okay, the audience really feels
0: like a team this time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And there's ways to lean, oh, go ahead.
1: Well, another, but just just the fact that we are asking these moral questions and putting in the immersive world, putting these audience members the power of like you have the power over so many lives. like and just mm-hmm. exploring that in the show and if a character approaches you and questions you on why you feel that way and why you may feel that way in this scenario only, like what does that say about you? Like that that it just it creates its own dialogue and its own tension
0: how do you How do you structure it to onboard people? into those stakes because sometimes I feel like one of the hardest things in immersive is getting people to buy in mm-hmm. at the start like um I did um shin bones uh, afterlife anonymous which is like an hour-long show light I mean it's in entertainment it's not trying to go like really deep and like by the end like it was fun and we were kind of like into it but like the first like third of it it it, it was like a kind of a, a slow roll up into like I wasn't mm-hmm. buying in really deeply into the the stakes of the characters and it's it and particularly when there's a lot of agency given over to the audience that can kind of be the thing that's sometimes it like if someone comes in and like has like a, an agenda because i think they know what they want how to run things on the one hand <laughs> it can run straight into the teeth of the story you're trying to tell mm. or if they're willing to like tack through it can be like really great it's like oh great an active player right mm. wonderful yes other times you get these people who can be like pretty reluctant, and it can kind of wet noodle on you, and that tension winds up not happening because the the player just kind of lets yeah. it fall slack. So how do you how do you design for that? How do you how do you aim to hook people in?
2: Well, first of all, there's um, not to give too much away, but like we knew going into this particular show because there is a lot more of a clear plot. And everything in this one than there was in seventy seven. Uh, seventy seven was more of an experience. I mean, it had the story, but there wasn't sort of like an overarching plot for the night. Ne- well, you, you or you didn't really know what it was until the end. Right. Um, in this one, you know what it is pretty much from the beginning. So we we knew we needed a way to sort of download a fair amount of exposition into people to get them going. And so we. I'm I'm not going to say how we did that, but that is something that we like that we consciously tried to do because you know we we wanted everyone to be on the same page instead of everyone having their own little piece of information like they've like like can happen in other shows. And then as far as you know what people's you know what different different energy that audience members bring, I mean we certainly dealt with that in 77. We had the party element to kind of paper over that because a lot of times people could like if people weren't really acting how we wanted them to sometimes (laughs) that wouldn't necessarily be that noticeable because it's like it's a party there's music there's drinks everything like that And they can can lean back
0: into this kind of base layer yeah
2: Yeah. and and in this one what we're trying to do is have like with the sandbox element like have options for if you don't want to engage with certain elements of the plot you don't have to and there will be other things that you could engage with instead Mm -hmm. um but yeah and i think part of that again will just come from observing actual people in the space. Cause we're trying to plan for as many different kinds of audience members as we can, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's always unpredictable ultimately. And that's why we have really, really great performers who know how to adapt to mm-hmm. a lot of different kinds of people.
0: Over the summer, you guys did the pod and I wonder what uh, we sort of learned both, like in terms of like working together, that that led into this piece, but also just like you know what you learned about that you know, from about the form in that piece because that was uh, a, a mostly one on one. Well, yeah, it was like one audience member at as a time, uh, and there was you know a person at the front, and then Nikki you were kind of in the middle point, and then you you got time in a closet that was a spaceship simulator <laughs> with you. Um, what did you learn from that project?
1: Um. That I always want to do science fiction plays. <laughs> 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 I mean, I really want, it was, it was more of a challenge, really. Like we, we really, uh, we had talked, uh, a long time ago. Like I, cause, um, you know, every apartment eight had such a big wave and effect on people. And I was like, if I created, or if we worked on a one-on-one experience and tried, like how much can you immerse people in 20 minutes? How can you onboard people? And, you know, two you know, and 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 how effective can you be? Do that on like a you know a fringe budget, and and like it just sort of cobbled itself together with with magic and stardust and um, a lot of research about exoplanets and um, you know keeping plants alive in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, it it was. I think it was gratifying to know that it's that it's fucking possible. Yeah. That it that the more specific and the clearer you are and the world you're trying to create, if, if you really saturate it, you know, no matter what happens in the show, like people are going to feel taken away up, you know, gone.
0: So I think that's, that's particularly critical. Like the idea of the more specific you get, right? Mm -hmm. Like I keep on thinking there's a, there's a principle to any kind of creative work in particular uh, that, you know, the specific is the path to universal. Right. Mm-hmm. So and, and so often people try and like drop an archetype and, you know, kind of gesture towards a principle, but have this sort of fear of of dialing in and saying, no, no, it's it's this shade right here. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a ficus, not a rose bush. Right. <laughs> you know, and 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 that's what prevents people from. From letting go into the experience, because like I I just keep on thinking about what separates this kind of work from a LARP, right? Mm-hmm. And as much as I might like doing a LARP, I often f- find that a LARP structure, there's so much so much of the responsibility lies with the player. Yeah. So when someone comes to me and says, like, oh, it's gonna be a LARP experience, I'm like, oh but maybe I don't want to work tonight. Yes. You know, maybe yeah. I don't want to create, particularly if it's a LARP experience where I'm being I'm being assigned a role that maybe has a a certain lack of specificity. Like Mm -hmm. you give me something, you give me something specific enough. I can respond and kind of get absurd with it. Like if I reject it, but, but if I accept, but reject Mm -hmm. and kind of like not take it seriously, you can have like a lot of fun with it that way. But, but so often it often feels like, you know, people building a sandbox, but then not putting anything in the sandbox and saying just like, well, don't you want to play in the sandbox? And it's like, but why, why? It's just sand. like you didn't make an offer. Right. Like, which was like that experience I had, like, you know, earlier in the week where it was like, but, but make an offer. Give me something to react to.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I always feel with immersive that I want to create things where the, Nothing is required coming in on the audience's behalf. Like, you can just come in as yourself. You don't need to, like, I mean, you'll have whatever information you have as far as, like, you know, logistics and a little bit of information about what you're coming into, but, like, you don't have to prepare a character. You don't, you're not going to be expected to sort of, like, improvise as a particular. Person mm-hmm. or you know, um, there's certainly like we've had people come to safe house who want to come sort of in character, and that's. I think I did
0: once too. <laughs> I believe you did, yeah, and that's totally <laughs> cool.
2: But, um, but yeah, I I personally never want to put that onus on the audience member, and I, honestly, I think that's part of like. Why some people in the larger world have this like sort of stigma against immersive because they think of it as being this thing where you have to come in and do all this work, yeah. you know, you're like you're having to work just as hard as the actors are and everything like that, and you know, I'll
0: still tell people about immersive who are just like, I don't want to be on stage, right, you know, and that's the reaction, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh no no no, it's not that at all, and, but then you go to a show and like it's totally like, oh, they just put that person on the spot,
1: you yeah. know, yeah. and it's
0: like, yeah. for the record, I think it was the second time I saw the show that I came, in there. The I first, believe it was, yeah, the first time I was like, we well, don't know what's going on, the second yeah. time I was like. Oh, I know what's up. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Here's it. And it was, it was less an agenda and more of an attitude, right? right. Yes. You know, which is what's, we what can be a lot. Of yeah.
2: Fun and we, yeah, we've had people that really have a lot of fun with that, but yeah, I think it's like, you're giving the freedom to make it what they want, but you're also not forcing them to invent anything in particular. Like they, you know, it's like you, you give them all of the sort of breadcrumbs they need to, and they might, they might, you know, in, you know, if we talk about the pod, like it, what we did was basically like have you walk in and we tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so, and it's, and since it's only 20 minutes and since it's so focused on you, I think it's very easy for you to assume that role Mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is who I am. I'm going to react. You know, we're still, again, we're not making you make up a character. You're still you, but we've created the specific, sort of reason why you're here and everything and
0: yeah yeah you had you it was a very specific role like you had a specific job which was to like test out this ai through reacting authentically yeah Mm -hmm. and and that that made it easy to just let yourself go like when the injunction is simple enough and particularly when the injunction is react truthfully (laughs) then Mm -hmm. then like you're free to go and then and then you get to do and i'm pointing to caitlin now you get to do the thing which I, i love you know really good immersive actors do which is tune the performance to the emotional reactions mm-hmm. of the audience mm-hmm. like that's the thing and like it, it often feels to me like it's almost like the 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 dr- any director's dream mm-hmm. it's like what if i didn't have to tell my actors what to do what <laughs> if i just re- reacted and they adapted mm-hmm. um and that's that the pod definitely had a lot of that energy to it well, thank you yeah, yeah
2: well and I mean that was you know that was partially you know we we co-directed that so Caitlin like you know I was giving Caitlin notes but she was also just directing herself to that and like we wrote it together and we oops, oops. sorry uh, you know like, uh, <laughs> um, just like everything about it we just you know built this character in this world together and you know it was it was great to go into that having the experience of having already written two parts for Caitlin before for Safe House and then for Sideshow and to know like what like what she's capable of as an actor which is everything and but also like what she's interested in what's fun for her what you know like what what things I know about Caitlin from getting to know her working together all this time that I would want an audience member to come away with Mm -hmm. and then letting, you know, and then letting Caitlin decide like what parts of myself do I want to show Mm -hmm. in this, in this person and have, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of a different chance to showcase that in this show where there's so much focus on this one interaction versus it being part of a lot of other interactions.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a, a point that I see missed in a lot of immersive acting is wh- it's the initial like get to know the audience member when you are first introduced it's not like hey I'm here you look at me I'm this character come along it's like no this character is looking at you taking in your energy where are you at what level of safety are you are you feeling um, how engaged are you feeling and I will know the moment where you are with me and that is when we begin and that is when and I won't it, I, it's impossible to start until we're there together. Mm. So, and that's and that's always where I wanna I wanna dedicate my attention to just being really present. Where Where are you at, and how this is, this experience is gonna go for you?
0: What kind of characters have you not gotten a chance to play yet in this <laughs> space that you that you that you'd want to? Because at this point, you've been. Uh, a tiger, a, tiger? Uh, a Stevie Nicks ish spy, uh-huh. a, uh, robot. a robot, um, a circus performer, yeah. um, probably a few other things I'm forgetting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what haven't you done yet? Um, you know? I mean, there's I'm not in a sense of like you've done it all. No, literally, like what 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 do you what do you dream sometimes about? Like, oh, it's <laughs> fun to this would be a fun world to step into. You did say more sci-fi, so
1: uh, yeah. Absolutely. Like being a, like a a spaceship captain would be really fucking delicious. Um, like I'm, I'm really, I don't know. I've, I'm in, I I love working for this format because you, you really can create exactly who you want to be instead of like traditional theater or film where you're like, oh, you're the girlfriend or, or, you know, there's just not a whole lot of fun. And I'm more interested in, in the magic. Like I want to be—I want to be a fucking dragon. I wanna—I want to be a serial killer. I wanna, you know, Robin Hood, Sherlock. You know, I—I like—I want these these strong-minded, um, very intelligent, you know, um, people who are gonna create these big, beautiful worlds. And like, what what can I do in that? Like, really, sky's the limit. I really want to do everything. <laughs>
0: Nick kind of bouncing the other way you two spy pieces so far and and I think we all know you're very much into spies but like what beyond beyond that genre is starting to like something's got to be whispering to you in the back of your head I know Uh, we're just about to open this next spy show so it's like looking beyond (laughs) but like
2: well we do I mean we do have other other shows planned that are not uh being spoken of yet but uh definitely like I think with with spy brunch what what I wanted to do with Spy Brunch and what what Caitlin and I have sort of, you know, agreed on as being part of our path is like just like ex- exploring every possible genre in the immersive setting because mm-hmm. like there's a couple of genres that tend to happen a lot in immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I d- there definitely aren't a lot of spy immersive things. I think we were one of the first to do that. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot of, uh, sort of, you know, um, why do I, I guess uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tr- now I'm trying to think of like what genres are sort of overrepresented in immersive, but I know um, there are some. Well, I mean, like, I mean yeah, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's yeah, too like, like that kind of like yeah, like literary or whatever stuff like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, like 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 how would we do? Um, you know, a you know, I don't know, comedy or uh, you know fantasy or other types of genres yeah yeah yeah. any like Mm -hmm. like just how because you know i my background is like is not theatrical at all and so it's and and caitlin's background is fantastically theatrical so it's a it's a good combination but like i i when i think of creating an immersive show like my touchstones are always going to be you know movies and tv and and stuff like that and we do have the common language of 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 games because we both love video games games. and we've definitely put a lot of that into into pod and into Mm safe house but uh yeah just like kind of any like whatever your favorite movie or tv show is like what would how would we translate that into an in-person in-person immersive experience and like what haven't people done and you know what are the challenges and how can we overcome them
0: it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's funny as you mentioned television shows like i actually I did what I never did, which is I started thinking about procedurals. And like how many procedurals are out there or like no mm-hmm. one's done like an, I mean, you have to find like an abandoned hospital or something like that, but like, Oh, what about like doing ER or St. Elsewhere? Right. You know, like the, <laughs> yeah. like the, like the soap opera ish, uh, you know, emergency show and where, where, where all of the audience members are the victim of the week, you know, yes. like rolling people in, yes. it's like you get them That's on a the, an idea. ambulance, roll them out. Yeah. You know, what do you got? Spleen, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, spleen. you know, yeah.
2: My my wife Alexis has all the medical knowledge in the world. So she could certainly (laughs) There you go
0: (laughs) You just just gotta find a spot to do it in so I mean I I think that's one of the things like I mean pod pod was like a fringe budget show but like I think something that that needs to be emphasized here with with both 77 and 82 Is that there's there's production value in what you guys are doing here you've got you've got this house that you're that you're decking out genre-wise and, and that's, that's an advantage that you guys get to have that like some of the shows that have to like pop up overnight somewhere and like, you know, throw up some plastic sheeting and, and move on, yes. which again is something you guys have now done with the pod. Um, uh, but that, that uh, having the ability to have some production value kind of like, you know, lowers some of the, takes some of the weight of suspension of disbelief off the audience members, whereas trying to do like a full on medical show would be mm-hmm yeah
2: <laughs> well I think there's uh I mean definitely definitely with with 77 because because we are in a house you know I was very conscious of like I want like everywhere you look to be part of the show and I don't want you to be able to sort of see the seams or see like where the you know where the non-77 parts are hidden or whatever uh because I I think that you know that's that's what makes it magic and you know having like the other touchstone of course is like you know like Disney experiences where you just you never you're never questioning like like when you're on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or whatever you're not being sort of like hey I think I see a lever back there or something like you're just immersed in it and you're just like everywhere you look is the experience and being able to translate that into a in-person thing where everything is real and you can pick stuff up and wow that's really a viewmaster that's not just you know <laughs> that's the other part of it is like I, it's it's fun to watch like period things and see the like period props and whatever but like those aren't necessarily real people don't have to use them you know that tv might be you know digitally imposed or whatever like how can we do all of that
0: (laughs) it's okay (laughs) rule of
2: threes i'll have to do it a third time but um but how can you know the fun of finding things that really work that people can really interact with and really look at and get up close to and everything uh that's that's part of the the magic of it and you know uh that's We've we've tried to elevate that in different ways in in eighty two, uh, with things that are actually like crucial to the plot. But, Ooh. Yeah. So.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's intriguing. Speaking of eighty two again, uh, how do folks find the show now? Where do they, where well, do they go? We, how do they how do they
2: do? Uh, so, well, safehouse 82com dot um, We are all but sold out uh, for the first run. We will definitely do a remount. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always email info at safehouse82.com or info at spybrunch.com if you want to get on our mailing list, uh, to be the first to know. Um, but yeah, we, we did Safehouse 77 three times. I'm sure we'll, we'll hopefully do this at least three times. Yeah. Uh, cause there's always more people.
0: And you just did a really lovely thing where you did a, a pay what you can, uh, for folks because uh, yeah. for, for accessibility issues, which is, which is really a lovely thing. And, and it's, I'm, I'm glad to see. You.
2: I mean, we, there are, there are people out there. I mean, obviously like it's $125. Obviously a lot of people can't afford that. I'm very conscious of that. Like we have to, you know, charge what it costs to make the show or what it costs to almost make the show or not. (laughs) I'm not going to say we're making a profit even at that level, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but because of doing that in 77, we got people to see the show like Brianna Rooks, who ended up being our costume designer for 82. And she, you know, which is, you know, we, we want to expose people who are you know not necessarily able to m- make that sacrifice to see it and you know i think that's something we're all working on in immersive is how do we get it to more people but mm-hmm. still make it somehow and i mean part of the solution i think is making shows like pod that aren't as expensive to yeah. do and mm-hmm. you know are but are are shorter but are still meaningful but don't have all of that overhead you know i mean we we didn't have a crew for Pod that was, that was yeah <laughs> i mean me caitlin and ashley were the cast and we
1: set that set up every and, single day yeah yeah
2: <laughs> and, and basically the entire, yeah, so, but um, yeah, so rolling up sleeves and stuff. But for doing something like 82, we need a lot of people. We need a dedicated production designer. We need producers. We need mm-hmm. PAs. We need stage and you know, uh, so yeah, there's. Yeah, we, we, we try to get things out to people, but... Yes.
1: It's, it's, <laughs> important. it's important to stand for the artistic community and give people opportunity to see everything because, yeah, not everyone is able to, but we want to share and, and we want to be like, you're valuable and you, your eyes on this is really valuable, whether or not it's affordable for you to not um, come. So, like, anything we can do in the future, like, I want to know how to help people get into this as, as much as possible because yeah. I want to share it. I just fucking want to share it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well break a leg on opening, y'all. Thank you so much. uh, Thank you. And I know we'll be talking in the future. All right. All right. Thanks, Noah. Once again, want to thank Nick and Caitlin for being our guests on the show today. You can find Safehouse 82 at safehouse82. That's the number eight and the number two dot- um, boom, uh, there's, there's this week's interview. I promised you some insight into what's going on with the ticketing for here. So, okay. Um, here's the plan, right? Here's how, here's the plan. And here's, here's basically how it's going to work. Uh, we have 300 tickets that'll be available this year and they're going to break down as such hundred of them are going to be subsidized by application only. Uh, At least half of which are going to be full rides and half of which are going to be discounted for the full three days. Uh, 200 tickets are going to be full price. And I will tell you what the price is in a second. And um, there's going to be another 50 to 100 tickets based on sponsor needs and a few other things that are going to be one day only keynote only tickets and those will be for saturday right because we've got the pasadena playhouse and we've got like over 600 seats to play with but as the summit goes we also make sure that you know i mean of course sponsors you they they get seats because they're helping foot the bill. um speakers have to but they're but somewhere uh, while other people are talking, uh, and we want to make sure that there's there's some other folks uh, who who are important to kind of like pump through the system and press and whatnot. So breakdown is as follows: three day tickets are going to be six hundred dollars this year, and they will go on sale next month after we've announced programming. Because you know we should probably tell you who's talking before we sell you tickets. Um that's when the full price tickets are going to go on sale. And that's also when applications for um, the reduced price tickets and the free tickets are going to be available. The reduced price tickets, um, if we don't get sponsors to cover the full run. And it's a possibility. We're, we're looking for sponsorship. And if we can get sponsors to cover the, the full run of subsidized tickets, then there'll be like a hundred tickets that'll be by application. And those are intended for indie artists, students, um, and folks from underrepresented communities uh, who just like people who like might not be able to you know afford to spend $600 on a three-day thing. And we've done a pretty bang up job the past couple of years of making sure that the ratios are pretty good. Like, I think we did 70 subsidized tickets last year uh, out of 200. So this year we're doing 100 out of 300. So like fully a third of, of so more, more, more subsidized tickets than ever. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. Just, damn, I allow myself a little bit of pride here and there. And that's one of the things I'm proud of that we've set up the budget and set aside things. And that's another one of the things right is like one of the reasons why the tickets are six hundred dollars is because we subsidize the people who can't afford with the people who can afford uh 600 bucks means that we're 105 dollars more expensive than last year um and uh there's a whole nother day of programming so a little six to one half dozen others i also know that by there being another day of programming for those who are coming in from out of town that also means another night of staying etc etc so yes the overall cost does go up and the trade off is we're trying to provide more and more and more of what you want um and unfortunately the the I, I keep on not winning the lotto all right maybe some of you out there are hoping that i don't win the lotto so stop doing that so i can win the lotto and just pick up the tab for everybody cuz you know i would might <laughs> just be a bad idea okay so that's aside how are you going to get the tickets if the applications are only for the subsidized tickets. Well gonna release them in waves, number one. And we are going to do some um some kind of kind of we're going to do some allocations based on industry, right? One of the things about the summit is that it brings together the discipline different disciplines we talk about. Immersive theater, theme parks, escape rooms, VR, installation art immersive marketing, right? Um, and this year, I'm also hoping that we look at music festivals because they're increasingly immersive, all right? And maybe some immersive retail. So we want to make sure that the mix of people in the room represent this, right? Because it's it's not just about who's on stage, but also like who's in the room. And we've done this through a very laborious process the past couple of years. And also a process that, you know, it's it it hasn't, it's produced an amazing result for the people in the room and for the people who weren't able to be in not an amazing result because he didn't get to be there. And that drives me nuts. Um, what we're going to do this year is there's going to be a block of tickets that are released for people who have attended or who have applied to previous IDSs. right? Got those lists, got those names. We're going to ping people, um, and let them know, and there's going to be a block of tickets release for those a a significant block of tickets, right? That sense of continuity is important. And when those block of that block of tickets go up, um, free for all is not exactly the term I would use, but those will be on a first come first serve basis. There's going to be other blocks of tickets uh, for people who haven't attended before, and then also for people who have attended before, but who miss out on that, that are going to be allocated based on discipline. How we're doing that is we will send out via the Mailchimp that we have. We will send out, um, and, and if you want to get on the mailing list, go over to herefest.com, h-e-r-e-f-e-s-t.com, and sign up on the Mailchimp. We will send out a little survey that will say like, who are you, where you're from, a few other you know demographic details, and uh, you know what what discipline. Are you in what industry are you in and when the block of tickets for that industry goes live there will be time you will be hey hi these went up first come first serve one well, of the reasons i'm doing first come first serve is the past couple of years we've had people um we, we did a whole thing where, like, you know, we said, hey, congratulations, you know, like you got through the application process. Here's your ticket code, um, you know, pay. And some people paid and some people like took a long time to pay and then ultimately like, oh, I can't do it. And then we had to like kind of scramble to find people to replace. I won't do that no more. Now, the tickets are still going to be that if you've bought them, they're not returnable or transferable or, or, or refundable but we will find someone to, we will have a waiting list. And if someone needs to tag out, we will swap and do it because, and help you find a person. So that's how it's going to work like it did in the past. What I'm hoping is that through this, that we're able to get more people in, get people in that we wouldn't necessarily expect, but still keep that dynamic balance. This is an experiment. There's one more part of this experiment, which are those keynote tickets. Even with 200 full price tickets that are a little bit easier to come by, um, a little bit easier to come by, we're still going to not be able to get everyone who would want to go for all three days into the room. The keynotes are going to help us solve that. Um, We want to strike this balance between the intimacy that IDS had and a a more expansive footprint uh, because we want, it's, it's important that more people, are able to be active parts of the community. So for this Saturday, like I said, uh, between 50 and 100 tickets, and those are going to be 200 bucks, and those are going to go on sale after we've completed the sales on the three-day tickets, right? So if you're not able to score one of those, those will be available. And those are going to be pretty much first come first serve. There will be a small window of opportunity. For those who missed out on the full tickets, <laughs> I have not had my coffee yet still, um, uh, for probably about half the stock we have is going to be like heads up, last chance, get your, get your one days. Um, and then after that, uh, it'll be open to any and all. This is going to be the biggest event we've produced so far. Um, we are working on the pilot festival aspect of it and finding places to, to plug some work so that people can check out and not just talk about this stuff, but like experience the stuff, particularly for people who haven't experienced it. Um, and figuring out the flow on that. Um, we're in the middle of programming right now and I'm looking forward to having some stuff to tell you soon. Um, Wish I had to tell you right now, uh, but I don't yet. Um, eager to, and yeah, uh, tickets will be on sale early part of December. Uh, I don't have an exact date for you yet, uh, but uh, definitely before Rise of Skywalker, <clears throat> and, uh, and and probably like a lot a lot earlier than that. Uh, there are going to be for those who are interested in sponsoring. We do have uh, plenty of sponsor spots left. Um, you'll notice I haven't been mentioning any sponsors So there's a hint uh, We have plenty of sponsor spots left If you are interested If your company might be interested If you might be interested as an individual sponsor We have an individual sponsor uh, level this year uh, If you're interested in any of that Please contact me um, We would love to talk to you uh, You can hit me up Noah at H-E-R-E-F-E-S-T dot For any of that business um, Yeah And so that's how things are going to work and look, uh, ask anyone who's been to the past couple of IDSs. Uh, you know, we we put on a a good show, as it were, and um, we've got Pasadena playoffs, which is absolutely gorgeous, and is giving us a chance to bring the community together like never before. Okay, um, that's your update on here summit. Um, more updates soon. On other aspects of it Uh, I hate teasing you Uh, I I actually don't enjoy it okay I enjoy it a little bit but not as much as dislike sharing things all right um golly uh, what's up Um, we did uh, a feature interview with Pete Billington and Jessica Shamash of fable studio uh, talking about wolves in the walls Uh, That went up this week, and for Patreon backers at the Immersanot level and above, uh, the raw audio of that was dumped into the feed. (laughs) And the raw audio is is rough, because it was literally recording on the laptop off of the cell phone, because that's how the call worked that time. Um, But that's there if you want to check out uh, the original audio of it, and parts of it are, are hard to... Transcribe out of uh i know because i tried um but yeah um the archive materials are there for you and there's just reviews reviews galore um the spooky season may be over but uh the volume does does not stop and uh i'm off to uh infinity fest today which is in hollywood and there's going to be some immersive track stuff there so i'm going to go uh listen to some smarter than me people talk about the stuff we all love um so yeah the the cycle of life it continues all right, uh, let's do the credits. I still, still, like I said, I haven't had my coffee, so I'm just like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, <laughs> the sustaining backers of No Prescinium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, and now Sidney Guillory. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. We're at nopersinium on Twitter and Facebook. Our brilliant Instagram is at no underscore persinium. Really, uh, just behind the scenes stuff in the stories. All of it's saved on the profile. Check it out. Please check it out. Um, Patreon.com slash no is how you help us Please rate us on your podcast platform of choice It helps people discover the show And of course by people discovering us They discover the things you love Um, We all help each other out Um, Picks of the week Everything immersive this week on the website Really would love it if you shared that Um, We, we got enough going on now That uh, people should know People should know Your friends who don't believe you, they should know. All right. Uh, I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.